Friday about now and time for us to welcome one of our guests to tell us about the good bits of what they've been watching, reading, listening to, tasting and smelling. And this time it's the turn of NCAD's David Crowley to share with us his culture file likes. I'm David Crowley and I teach artists and designers in Dublin. The visual artists I like the most often make music. Jennifer Walsh, Laurie Anderson, Mariana Simnett. Simnett's a bit of a new discovery for me. Uh, short films became more widely available during the lockdown when galleries and museums put their programmes online. And she's made a, a film, a short film called The Bird Game, which is a kind of creepy portrait of a, a talking crow. The crow mesmerises children in the grounds of a stately home. It's really macabre, it's really bloody. Simnett seems to somehow fold fables and phobias together in her art. I mean, maybe that's what fables have always done. There's a film called The Needle and the Larynx in which there's a kind of close-up of her own neck being injected with Botox. Yes, Botox. Surprisingly, it's a, it's a kind of medical procedure and it's one that has the effect of lowering the voice. It lowers her voice, but lowers not stronger in this film. It's not more manly, as you might imagine. And two days later, Simnett's voice is frail, it kind of lacks power, it's kind of broken. The soundtrack has two simnets. There's a kind of before and after. One of the voices is of a young woman singing. It's a pop song, and it's about the fantasy of lowering the voice. And then there's that broken voice, the one that's living out that fantasy. He said, better to be numb, better to be numb than think of what's to come. I like podcasts, but I don't like the reason why I listen to so many Insomnia. This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. Roman Mars's 99% Invisible is brilliant. It's incredibly well-crafted. It's a kind of exploration of the things that we ignore but often make our lives livable. So it's about the design of ordinary things, about information, about spaces. And Mars is really a great observer. He often points out paradoxes. You know, why does your suit jacket... The collar have a buttonhole, but there's no button. Why was the tin invented 50 years before the tin? A more complete mental picture. Mars also has the most podcast voice ever. Now, scientists do sometimes Steady, find dinosaur fossils slow, with the transatlantic intact. And sleepy. And when they do, they can completely change our image of the animal. The musical soundtrack for much of my life in the last few years has been provided by an outpost of electronic and electroacoustic music that opened in Warsaw, Warsaw in Poland. At the end of the 1950s, it was called the Experimental Studio of Polish Radio. I've edited a book on the compelling but really quite unsettling music that was created by composers and engineers in the studio that they called the Black Room. Krzysztof Penderecki, he made Psalmus there. He took all the essential elements of speech, you know, vowels and consonants, he had them sung by a, a baritone and a soprano, and then working with the engineer. These sounds were stretched, pitch was altered, and you end up with this sort of extraordinarily strange acoustic world that has traces of the natural voice, but sounds odd and unnatural. One of the first studios of its kind in the world. The Warsaw studio is a bit of a puzzle. Poland needed lots of things in the 1950s, but probably one of the things it didn't need 
was a costly recording studio. So you have to ask the question, why did the communist authorities invest in magnetic tape recorders from West Germany, oscillators, early synthesizers? And I think the answer lies in the way in which the authorities made a kind of fetish of science and technology during the Cold War, and that really canny engineers and composers persuaded the authorities that they were listening to the sounds of the future. I've just been reading Gay Bar, a book with the subtitle Why We Went Out, which is a personal account of bars and nightclubs by Jeremy Atherton Lynn, an American who lives in London. Bars in Los Angeles, in London, and in San Francisco, they form a kind of constellation of bright memories, all really brilliantly written by Atherton Lynn. But the lights have been going out in his book because they've been closing their doors as as cities gentrify. His writing's brilliant. It's really vivid. Every sense receptor is switched on. He touches, he smells, he tastes, he hears these bars. And he's really alert to the politics, to the clothes, to the spaces themselves. And there's little traces of sadness, partly the melancholia of retrospection, you know, looking back to a younger life. But you hear these little echoes of the awful effects of age. But the book is brilliant, it's exuberant, it's, it's full of love, full of resilience. When it comes to fragrances, to smells, well, I'm a bit phobic. For me, there's nothing worse than sitting on a train and watching somebody spray perfume into the air, knowing it's about to hit my nose. The likes of David Crowley there. Coming up tomorrow evening, it's the Culture File Weekly when we get to meet artist Danny Osborne and hear about his visions of melting ice and molten lava. Professor Heather O'Donoghue talks to us about the 21st century of old Norse myths and Paddy Woodworth has an apocalyptic selection for the naturalist bookshelf. That's all crammed into the space between 6.30 and 7 Saturday evening or on your podcast feed whenever you're in the mood. Superstar. Superstar. Superstar.